0: Hi there. How's everybody doing? It is great to see all of you here on this balmy August morning. And uh, hey, the first time I want to tell you this, the first time I ever spoke publicly was uh, my first semester of Bible college. And uh, I I was at what they did was that they every uh, day of the semester there would be uh, it was actually a couple of days a week. It would be Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. There'd be these three days. Everybody would get together and then one of the students would give, uh, like a ten minute devotional. And so my name got put on the schedule. It was about two months into the semester. So, um, I'm watching everybody get up, give the ten minute devotional. So I prepared for about a month to tell, to, to, to give my first, you know, quote unquote talk. And, um, <clears throat> what ended up taking place was, uh, I, I my, picked my text, which is Psalm 37, verse four, which says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So I'm like, I got the text down. I memorized it. And then I wrote out my notes and I was like, you know, this is back when, you know, this is like we were still writing on stone tablets, but I had like a sheet of paper and I had scribbled my notes down. And I was going to pray then I was going to read the, the text, you know, my the scripture. Then I had a story that I was going to tell. And then I was going to give like application, like what that meant for us as students who were in school that wanted to go into ministry. And then I was going to close at the end. And, and so I thought, you know, with all of that, I should be able to do that within the 10 minute time frame. And so I, I got ready. The time came. I got up. I prayed. I opened my Bible. I read the passage, told my story, gave the, all the application that I had written out. Then I prayed again and I sat down and I still had six minutes left. And uh, I had talked for with opening and closing in prayer and walking up and walking back. It took me four minutes. And um, everyone was so stunned at my brevity. Uh, and and like the teacher, you know, my, my, he was there. He didn't really even know what to do. So he didn't even comment. He just walked up and started teaching. Like, I don't even really know what to do with that. And uh, he just Started teaching and and it was such a disaster. And uh, I was a, I'm a musician and so I had just left the band that I that I was in and and um, so we had just come off a, a tour and all that. And so, um, so and I thought you know maybe we need to, maybe I need to rejoin this band and finish recording our second album because I don't know if the speaking thing is really going to work out for me because I prepared for a month and I got about literally three minutes worth of material. So to prepare a message for 40 minutes, it would take me like a year for one. And I thought, maybe this just isn't for me. Um, well, the next semester, same, same teacher said, hey, why don't you give it another try? And I said, listen, I, I don't know if I'm really cut out for public speaking. And I have been leading, um, they, they had this uh, worship time before, on Tuesday nights, and I was leading the worship time. So I just play guitar, and that was like a breeze for me. And I just said, well, maybe I'm just going to play music. And, and I said, because so, I could just get there, you know, very little preparation, get out my guitar and just lead worship for all the students that gathered. And um, well, the next semester came around and I and and I so I had prepared myself at the I said, well, I'll do one at the very end of the semester. Well, he calls me and he says, hey, uh, this is just before the first day of class. And he says, uh, the guy who was going to do the first devotion canceled. So you're up. And I'm like, so I, I had found out like the day before. So, I mean, I was at work. I took a, my lunch break and I was like, had my Bible out and I'm writing stuff down on the back of napkins, you know, and trying to get all this together. And, um, anyway, so instead of, I taught out of Daniel chapter four and, uh, and after I, at that time I, I did it again and the place went nuts in a really good way. Um, and, uh, and it was the first time I thought, you know, I might actually be able to do this and, uh, now, now, here's here's the thing, because I, one of the things I always wonder is what would have happened if I never gave teaching a second shot that like there was never somebody to kind of encourage me and say, hey, you, maybe you have this in you, you just need a little more practice, you need a little more encouragement. Uh, could it have been if I didn't give it a second shot that I would have had a gift in me that I never would have known about? And see, this is what I believe where, where many Christians are, that I think in, in many ways that we don't realize that we have these tremendous gifts given to us by God, but they're lying dormant and they're just, we're, we're, we're just, they are there and we don't know they're there. And see, it reminds me a couple of, two years ago, or maybe about two and a half years ago now, my wife got me a gift card uh, to this place. You ever hear of this place called the art of shaving? This place is totally insane. This is like, this is like a haven for men. All right. Uh, Because I don't know if you're aware of this, that men are really only looking for one thing in life, and that is the perfect shave, all right? Because we're trying all kinds of different products, uh, and you would be amazed, seriously, that the extremes that men will go to to get a good shave. Um, I remember I had a guy tell me, I didn't even know this guy very well, but I I, I saw him like, hey, you got a good shave, and he's like, let me tell you what I do. And he's like, you just, you get noxema. You cake maxima on your face for 20 minutes, walk around, read the paper, whatever. Then, after that, then you get, then you get hot cloth. And you, anyway, it's this whole thing. Basically, what he explained to me was a half an hour process to shave. And you know what? I started doing it. I started waking up early to try it because men are looking for one thing in life, the perfect shave, without hacking up your face. So anyway, and, I, and I'm telling you that I've tried like every soap Lotion, cream, gel, oil, liquid, anything else—you know, gasoline, whatever—to try to keep from getting razor burn and hacking my face up. And um, you know, I've tried different razors and blades and and everything you could possibly imagine. And listen, now here's the thing: eighteen months after Carrie got me this gift card, I finally went, and uh, and I, and I went I went to this this place and I found the perfect shave. It's, it's amazing. This is seriously. I, They should make me like the spokesperson for this place. And I would do it if they gave me free products. Um, But but here's the thing. You know what the part that really bugs me? The part that really bugs me is that I remember one particular day that I was shaving and I had the gift card in my back pocket because I kept it in my wallet. And I'm hacking my face up. There's blood everywhere. I mean, it was like a horror movie going on in in my sink. And, And yet the whole time there's this gift. In my back pocket, that would have saved me so much pain. And listen, this is the very same thing that happens with so many Christians. Tremendous God-given gifts that could help countless people just waiting to be unleashed. You see, in, uh, in First Peter chapter 4, uh, Peter writes this way. It's in your notes. He says, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One of the things that I've learned is that when a Christian discovers his gift and uses it, they find their fit in the body of Christ and then they find their fit in life as well. Because and in this section of Romans that we're going to look at, Paul is, if you remember, is kind of ramping up the first eight chapters of Romans. He talks about what is the gospel? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? What is the work of Jesus done for us? Then he he kind of shifts gears. In chapters nine, ten, and eleven, and talks about what is Israel's place as as those who had um, been who had been given the oracles of God. Now they've been given the word of God that's been passed to us. So what's Israel's place? And then in chapter twelve, through the rest of the book, he's essentially saying, "This is what you do with this. If this is what how God has saved you, and this is what God has done for you, now what do you do with that?" And th- now so that. Now, what he's getting to now is when he's talking about this idea of using our gifts and service, that it is the only natural response to the gospel. Listen, the reason that people are confused about serving is the same reason that people are so confused as to what to do with their lives. Career wise, future, all that kind of stuff. There are so many options. And because there are so many options, listen, many times we don't know ourselves enough. To be able to discern what our gifts are. And because we don't know what our gifts are and we haven't been able to discern it, it leads to frustration. What it leads to is just, you know, college students changing their major over and over and over and over again. It leads to people just hopping from one career to another, to another, to another. And listen, I'm here to tell you that if if you've done it, it's not your fault. And instead, what what happens is, is that we've never been taught and we've never had the opportunity to take the time to slow down and say, who did God create when He created me? Who did God create when He created you? And what happens is is that if, listen, if we'll get the tools, and that's what we're going to talk about today, if we'll get the tools to really understand who we are and how God has created us and how God has called us to work together within the context of the body and the body of Christ, then here's what we'll understand. We'll have a plan for not only discerning our gifts, but realizing that we're part of something much greater than ourselves, part of a movement that's much greater than ourselves, the mission that's much greater than ourselves. And we will understand our place as to how God has called us and created us and, um, and formed us and shaped us to be part of the body and part of the world in which we live. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 3, uh, chapter 12, uh, because we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to look at just a few verses this morning, but there, there's just so much here. We couldn't take more. But, but here's where we're going to start in verse three. We're going to read just verse three. He says this, for I say through the gift, the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Listen, here's the first thing. If you want to find your place in life, here's the first thing you have to do. Number one is this. I need to understand myself. You have to understand yourself. Listen, and one of the reasons that we don't understand ourselves and the challenge to understanding ourselves is that most of us don't look at ourselves in a very rational, logical way. We tend to look at ourselves with rose-colored glasses and we, we tend to look at ourselves not just that this is what I'm good at, but this is also what I like, and, and, and it becomes kind of problematic. And like, Let me give you an example. Um, I have two ceiling fans in my garage waiting for my brother-in-law. He's a, um, he's a, uh, an electrical contractor. And I have these two ceiling fans that I'm going to put outside in my patio. Um, and so I'm waiting for him to do it. Now, the reason I'm waiting for him to do it is because when I hung two ceiling fans in my kids' rooms a couple of years ago, um, I almost burned down my house. And so it just seemed to me like a natural thing. Because um, I, I asked him, I, I hung them up and then I, 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 the power went out and I'm like, what's that all about? So then I went out, I turned the breaker back on and I called him and I said, Hey, listen, I hung these two ceiling fans and I did all the electrical work because I figured, you know, you do it. How hard could it possibly be? And, um, and, and I said, but here's the thing, should smoke be coming out of my breaker box? And he said, listen, just leave and I'll be there soon. And, um, and so now, you know, him and I have this deal and that is Whenever you need to do electrical work, you call me. Whenever I have questions about the Bible, or I'm going to call you. And that's kind of the deal that we have. And, uh, and, and so now here's the thing. Why did I think I could do electrical work? Because I figure things out all the time. And I'm like, I figure things out. How hard could it possibly be? And, and listen, admitting that you can't do something takes a level of humility that sometimes we don't want to have. Right. And, 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 and the truth is, is that humility doesn't naturally come to most of us. And in fact, here's what I know about you, right? You're always on your mind, right? You're always thinking about yourself. No, I'm thinking about others and people that I love. Of course, you're thinking about others and people that you love within the context of you, right? Because I'm always on my mind. You're always on your mind. And if you don't believe me, um, the next time that you're, you, you find a group photo, hey, here's a picture. You, know, you go on Facebook. Someone posted a picture of you and five of your friends. Your determination as to whether it's a good picture is how you look, right? Everybody else, you know, could be wearing, you know, a Richard Nixon mask, and and you're you know you're, you're looking good. And you're like, hey, that's a great picture, you know. And, uh, and say, so, well, why is that? And, and it's the weirdest thing. Now I'm telling you that and say, Bob, have you moved beyond that? No, I'm still that way. Like I still haven't changed. In fact, let me show you this. My son turned two uh, two weeks ago, and so we took him to get his pictures taken. This is my son here uh, with his. Uh, the number two, just in case we forget. Um, but this is one picture here. This is another picture we took. Um, it, this is for his two year old deal. And then uh, Mia, it wasn't her birthday, but she got in the mix too. Now, here's the thing at the end of all this, they didn't want to take any more pictures of just them or just them together. They're like, you know, mommy and Poppy, we want you to be in the picture. Now, once again, we were not dressed to be in pic in, in pictures right we, we were getting the kids together and i was just wearing jeans and a t-shirt and Carrie was just wearing jeans and a t-shirt was like we want you to be in the picture so um we we took this picture now here's the picture that we took right i mean i look like you know I, i've been in a moving van all day uh you know carrie always looks great but um but and so now here's the thing the kids love this picture and our kids i think our kids look great in, in this picture even though my son's got his finger in his ear for whatever reason um And, uh, but here's the thing. We bought none of these pictures. We bought a bunch of pictures of the other ones, but we bought none of these. Why? Because Carrie and I didn't like how we looked. Isn't that interesting? Hey, the kids look great. Yeah, but I don't like how we look. Move on. And that was, that was pretty much the conversation. And now you can take that because you'll never see that picture again. Um, And that, listen, it is the weirdest, it is the weirdest thing that, and this is the challenge that all of us have is to have a sober estimation of ourselves because listen, it's not thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too low of yourself. Because thinking too highly of yourself is pride, but to think too low of yourself isn't humility either. In fact, many times I, what I've seen is, we, sometimes we think that, well, if I think very low of myself or I speak in a way that's kind of denigrating to myself, that that's really spiritual. You know that that's not really the case. Many times, you know, you, you talk to somebody, they do something real good. Hey, you're really good at that. no. I'm not, but could you tell me how good I am, though? I'm so terrible at this. And, oh no, you're wonderful, really. Do you think? Let's talk about that more about how good I am. You know, and so a lot of times it's just it's a thing where it's like you know I say that I'm not any good, but then because we're kind of fishing for a compliment. And listen, that's just pride, but just you know in, in, in more in more of a remix kind of way. And uh, listen to what Paul says. This is in another translation. Um, but he says it this way. And this is Romans twelve three. He says, as your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given you all. You see, some of you, if you've read um, my books, you know that I have this definition in my first book about what humility is that, that my definition of humility is knowing who I am in light of who God is It's knowing who I am in light of who God is and pride is making more of myself by making light of who God is Sober judgment says this. I know who I am and I know how God has wired me up And listen, it takes humility to know that you aren't good at something. You see pride says well, I could do that too pride says uh, I could do that just as good as, as anybody else, but listen, some of us just don't have certain gifts, right? We just don't have them, and what we have to do is recognize that, and the reason that, w- that we do that, and listen, there's a reason why God doesn't give people every gift, because we're a body, and the reason that we don't have every gift is because we need one another, and we're called to help each other as, as a body, so if you want to find your place, you say, well, how do I really know myself? Because I want to find my place. I want to find my gifts. I want to know what it is that I'm supposed to do with myself, my life, my future. Here's some questions to ask yourself. And You may want to jot these down. Number one, what am I good at? Now, here's the challenge with that. A lot of times people are really good at things and they have no, they just think that everybody's good at them, but they're not. Um, but you've got to, you've got to figure out what, what that is, what it is that, that you're good at. What do, here's another question. What do people say that you're good at? Whenever it is that you do that, people say, wow, that, that's so amazing what it is that you do. Um, now, here's another question. When people call to ask me for help, what are they usually asking for help with? So think about that. When people call asking for help, and I was like, hey, I'm moving. Can you help me lift some boxes? Not that, but I'm saying like, you know, there's something specific. Um, in fact, let me ask you this. How many of you have someone in your life that only calls when they need something? Right. All right. Just about everybody. All right. Now, here's the thing. In fact, what I would venture to say is you probably have a couple people in your life that only call when they need something. And you say, these people are a total nuisance in my life. Probably so. But they can actually serve a pretty good purpose here today. And the reason is this. What are they calling for? Well, you see, they always call because they, they want advice or they have some problem or they want me to figure something out for them. Okay. So so check it so here's the thing. So they well, they only call when, when their computer explodes and, and then I go fix it. So you have a gifting to do for computers. Oh no, I mean I just do kind of what everybody else knows. Listen, most people know how to hit the start button. That's it. All right? But you have some kind of gift to be able to to be able to do something. And listen That's why it's so important. When you realize what these people are always calling for, it's going to give you an idea as to what it is that your gift is. And once you know what you're good at, listen, it changes everything. About a year ago, I had had dinner with a friend of mine. And um, he and I were talking. Him and I have known each other for a while. and, And I said to him, I said, you know, you should do this. And I kind of explained this business idea that I had. Uh, based on what he's so good at. And I'm like, you should do this and kind of do it like this, like this, like this. And man, I think you do really well doing that because, uh, you know, knowing who you are, your personality, your gifts, man, this would, this would be a great thing. Well, he was really inspired by that. True story. He, and, uh, he actually wrote all this stuff down that I was saying to him, uh, at, at dinner. I mean, we're literally up the street here and, uh, having dinner. I saw him two months ago. I spent about a day and a half with him and, uh, he's turned that idea that night at dinner into a quarter of a million dollar business a year and uh and so him and I are sitting there and he's like listen I just want to say thank you because I'm looking at everything that I that, that 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 I have now and it's all because of you and um and I said listen that's really nice of you to say but but here's the thing listen god gave you the gifts number one number two is all I did was tell you what your gifts were I didn't actually do any of the work um, I had an idea, but it was based on what, you know, what God is already doing. It's how God has wired you up. And so what happened is when you started to understand yourself and who you are, you were able to take that. And now it's, be, it's changing. It's changing your life because you just took it. And I said, but in light of all this and the fact that it was my idea, you should at least pay for dinner. And um, which he did, thankfully. And um, So. But the whole thing is this. Listen, the first step, you want to find your place, the first step is to understand yourself. You've got to understand yourself, and that will lead to the second thing. Look at verse 4, where he says this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members Of one another. And if you pause there and give me me your attention, um, here's the second thing you need to do. Number one is you need to understand yourself. Number two is you need to cooperate with believers. Cooperate with believers. Um, In, uh, gosh, it was almost 20 years ago. It was about, yeah, it was like 1993 or something. Um, I was in Atlanta with my band, and we were playing some shows uh, in in the South. And um, we went to this place in Atlanta that's called the Underground. I don't know if you've ever been to this place. It's kind of like this underground mall. And uh, right over there, there was, um, there's this, uh, the the world of Coca-Cola, like, like the Coke factory or whatever. It was right there, uh, like in the same the same area. Which every time I go to Atlanta, I like to go there. It's like I'm paying homage uh, to to great liquids. Um, and not that I really drink Coke anymore. I drink Coke Zero because I, I love Coke Zero. Thank you, testify. And uh, now I tell my friends that, and I tell my wife this. I say that Coke Zero is actually a picture of heaven. And she says, well, why is that? I said, because it's Coca-Cola taste with no calories. And this is what heaven is going to be like. You will eat a Twinkie and it will nourish you like a banana. This is what I imagine. Anyway, uh, so that's not really in the Bible, but it's what I'm hoping. And uh, so I walk into the underground, right? And, uh, and I see this guy, and it is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I see this guy. He sit, he's seated behind a drum set. Um. And he has, ba- and he's, he's sitting behind a drum set. He has a guitar, he has a microphone set up, and then he has like this headgear so he can play the harmonica. And so he's got, he's going, he's hitting with his feet. He's hitting the hi hat and the snare drum. Then he's playing guitar with his arms, you know, doing this, and then he's singing and playing harmonica when the vocals aren't going. So he's playing the drums, playing guitar, singing, and playing harmonica the same. But this guy is like the old, you know how people say they're a one-man band? This guy was literally a one-man band. And I was amazed just watching this because I'm like, this takes such an incredible amount of coordination. Um, and, and, and yet as I, I, it was really one of the most bizarre things I'd ever seen um, because while it took an incredible amount of coordination, you can imagine the songs really weren't all that good. Because, I mean, there's only so far you can go with, you know, when you can't use any, your hands to play drums. It's, it's, anyway, so you kind of get the idea. And the only thing I could think of, like, this would be so much better if this guy just focused on one thing, because he seemed like he was a pretty good guitar player. But, you know, he didn't seem like he was much of a drummer. And, uh, you know, having heard him, he certainly wasn't much of a singer. And uh, his harmonica, you know, skills were, I guess, you know, as, as well as harmonica skills go. Um. But I thought, if this guy would just join a band, he would be much better. And, I'm, and by noticing the tip jar that was there, it wasn't really going that well for him. And um, and he certainly didn't get anything from me. And, uh, and so the whole thing was, and, and this, is the, this, is the whole, this is the whole point. Like, God is not into one-man bands. In fact, that's one of the things that we were talking about before. God doesn't give everybody every gift. Instead, here's what happens. He gives us certain gifts. And then what we do is that we play in concert. With other believers, we play in concert with the gifts that we have in our careers and and, and all of that like this service happens because there's all different people with all different types of gifts that are all working together. Right. There's band members that are playing songs, each playing their part. There's guys that are working lighting and guys that are working video that have those certain skills. Set up guys who are carrying speakers that care about sound and care that you can hear my voice at a level that's you know not, not too loud or too soft. And uh, there's people that are, have that are prepared all week to teach in our children's ministry. And uh, there, there's men and women who, who have this a gift of service, who just love greeting people and helping people find their seats and, and helping serve uh, in, in, in our cafe. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, and I, the reason why everybody's doing what they're doing. Is because Jesus saved them and Jesus saved us. And so the only natural response to that kind of love is to serve him. Because then to think that after all that God has done for us, that he's going to reward us, it is, is simply mind-blowing. In fact, um, the, if you read this, this passage, in, uh, it's in your notes in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 10. He says this, anyone who, rec- who receives you receives me. This is Jesus speaking. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. And if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And even if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now, the point is this. I may be preaching the gospel verbally, But all over this church, there's people that are preaching the gospel in their own way with their gifts. So when God blesses people for their service, a lot of times we'll look at the person standing behind the pulpit and say, oh, God's certainly going to reward him for preaching the gospel. But listen, don't forget that there's all of us working in concert together because this is not a one man band. All of us working in concert together. That makes the preaching of the gospel possible that now everybody who serves gets rewarded. And this is how we cooperate with believers, is that I use my gifts, you use your gifts, and together we're both a blessing to others, and, we're both, and, and then we're blessed by others. You see, and it's not that one gift is better than another. It's when, that all the gifts are important. Just like in a band, if one instrument drops out, boy, you, you begin to hear it. And even though it might not be an instrument that you had readily noticed, but once it drops out, you say, oh man, I, I totally noticed that. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a problem with our AC. This is when my, my wife was pregnant with, uh, with my daughter Mia. And um, she was about four, four and a half months pregnant. And, um, and our AC broke. And it was, I don't know, I would say it was about August or so, probably, probably right around this time. And um, so a guy from the church came over and fixed our AC. And, and, and it would, listen, let me tell you something right there. What my wife needed that day was not a sermon. In fact, when I started talking about. Um, you know, I could have given a message on how God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. She didn't care. She's like, I need air conditioning, not a sermon on the cool of the day. And, uh, and, and listen, so it was all of the gifts working together. And some gifts were useless. And some gifts that some people might say, well, that's a real important one, right? There's some moments where that gift was useless. And another gift was one that, w- that was really important that, that day. Because every gift matters. Could you imagine how horrible it would be? If everyone in this church had the gift of preaching and teaching, I can tell you it would be a nightmare. It would. All of us. Nothing would get done. Here's what would happen. We'd all kind of huddle together and talk about like all these nuances that we learned and this book that we read. And check out this little ninja thing in the Bible that I just found out and, and, and all this stuff. We would drive each other crazy. Right? But instead what happens is is that some preach, others sing, some serve, some help, others lead. Listen, all of us working together is what makes us a body. And that's when he goes on in verse 6 in this last section, and here's what he says. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in accordance to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering, he who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts In exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing, the last point. Finding your fit. You've got to understand yourself. You have to cooperate with believers. And then number three, you've got to activate your gifts. You have to activate your gifts if you're going to find your place. Um, We all know... When we know what our gifts are, we're able to express them in a way that blesses others and blesses us. But see, part of the key to being blessed with your gift is, not, is aligning something else. It's not only your gifting, but it's also your passion. Because you can be very passionate about something and not be any good at it. And if you don't believe me, watch like the first three weeks of American Idol, right? What do you have there? Lots of passion, not a lot of gifting. All right, and just think, you know, we, we get that and so th- there's also situations where people have gifting But it's not their area of passion And this is one of the things that I was taught when I was back when I was an intern uh, and I was a real young pastor and uh, I was serving as an assistant pastor and um, One of the things that you had to do as an intern is you had to serve at least one Sunday in every area of ministry in the church. This is a church that had a lot of different ministries going on, and so w- in the course of my internship, uh, I made my way to the children's ministry, which is where I was assigned to serve, and uh, my, my role that Sunday was I got twenty first graders, and I had to teach them uh, a lesson, and it was me and my buddy Mitch, who was also a, um, an intern at the time, and so I said, uh, you know, being the really young, cocky, 23-year-old kid that I was, I said, uh, we walked in, and I said to Mitch, I said, all right, I'll take care of the teaching. You help the kids color. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. And so we walked in, and I had this whole thing I was gonna do, and my opening line. And now I'm a dad, and I'm just like, I can't believe how much of an idiot I was. Um, but I, I, I walked in, and um, and I said to the kids, you know, because um, now I teach the Bible to my kids all the time, and it's, it's a very different thing. But when I walked in, you know, I was I was you know 23, 24 years old. I just graduated from college, and, and whatever. So I walk in, and my opening line to these kids, when I huddled them all around to hear this Bible lesson that i prepared, I took out a map, and I said, now, how many of you know where ancient Asia Minor is? And I'm like, to kids that are six years old, right? And, um, and I'm like, well, if you look at modern-day Turkey, right? Like, they could probably tell you what turkey sandwich is, but probably not where Turkey, the country, is. So I had this map, and I'm like, now, this is where Turkey is. That's ancient Asia Minor. And then I started saying something about Alexander the Great, and that's where I lost them. Kids started walking away and looking at the ceiling, and and uh, you know, and it was I, I, I literally I had their attention for about thirty seconds, and it was over. And I had prepared about a forty-minute lesson for them, and uh, which is another thing you don't do. And um, so my buddy Mitch, who who has spent, well, I learned later had spent a lot of time working with kids. Um, he said, um, he said, Bob, can I help you? And I said, yes, I, I really, I think I can use some help. He says, all right, why don't you let me handle this and you pick up the crayons? And, uh, and I said, I, touche, my friend. And uh, so I said, okay. He gets all the kids together and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. You, what's your name? Whatever his name was. You're going to be the Apostle Paul. And what's your name? Okay, you're going to be the dead guy. Lay on the floor. And he kind of does this whole thing, right? And he does this whole lesson out of Acts 16. And it was, I, I, I stopped picking up the crayons. I was riveted by what he was doing. And he got these, all these kids together. And every kid had a part. And then as every kid had a part, he said, all right, now you say this. All right, now you say this. It was awesome. And, uh, the kids, they all learned the story. And then they all talked about it at the end. And, uh, and, and I realized something that day. I had a teaching gift. But I had no idea how to teach kids. And, uh, and so, because I, you know, I, I did, at that time, I did real well teaching, um, you know, middle school and high school students. I did real well teaching adults. I was not very good at teaching at teaching children. And uh, and what I realized was, is that there are people who were really, really gifted in teaching kids, but had not just no desire to teach adults. And uh, and listen, and the whole point of it is, is that every gift is meant to is meant to deepen our faith and show us something about God. So what what Paul does is that he lays out seven gifts. Now, these are this is not an exhaustive list. And you can look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 to get a more exhaustive list of different spiritual gifts. But he gives this list of spiritual gifts in verses 6, 7 and 8. And I want to give you uh, the seven of these gifts. The first is uh, the gift of prophecy. Now, if you're taking notes, this gift declares the truth. Now, when I say prophecy, don't think of somebody with like a crystal ball uh, who's like, you know, foretelling the future. In fact, Prophecy in the Bible isn't always about someone foretelling the future, but it's someone foretelling the truths of God. It's simply someone who speaks the word of God in a timely manner. I remember the first time I really came into understanding this, this gift, um, I I was, it was my first semester teaching at the college that I used to run. And, um, this is before I used to run. I I just was, I just was an instructor at school and, um. Uh, I was teaching the book of Genesis, or maybe that's my, my second semester, but I was teaching the book of Genesis, and I just started riffing on something, and I started talking about this this thing, and I just started creating this scenario. And I'm like, you know, because here's how it works, is that, you know, you're, 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 you're in college, and, and here's what's happening, and this is what's going on in your life, and then somebody came up to you and said this, and then you're sitting in your car, and you're crying. I mean, it, it was something long. I don't even remember what exactly it was, but I kind of just created this scenario, and I was, I was just honestly just kind of making it up as I went. Now, I'm saying this, and some girl just bursts into tears and, and runs out of class. So This is about 50, 60 people in this class that I'm teaching. And uh, she bursts into tears and runs out of class. Now, I, later on, I realized that, you know, when I teach, people cry. But that's usually because of the, con- the, the content. Um, but anyway, so she leaves, and then we take, it was a three-hour class, so we take a break about halfway through, and um, and I find her, and I'm like, are you okay? Did I did I say something or you know th- that that was offensive? And she said no. She said you just you exactly described the situation that I'm in right now. I mean, down to you're sitting in your car and you're, that that happened to me just a couple of days ago, exactly the way that you said it. And um, now, once again, it wasn't you know nobody had given me secret information. I was just sharing something as I was applying God's word. And it was simply it wasn't, you know, it was just simply forth what God's word says. And so what, what you know, um, prophecy declares the truth, but it declares it in a way that it's the right word that's given at the right time. The second gift that, that's talked about is ministry. Now, this ministry um, depicts the truth. The Greek word here is where we get our, our English word deacon, which means serving or, or servant. And um I don't know if you know, do you know people that just have to help? Like, they go to a party and they have to stay until everyone leaves so they can help clean up. Like, they just couldn't even fathom going to a party and leaving without, like, taking garbage with them, you know, like, out to the curb. Like, you know, you know, you know, you know those people. My wife is like that. Like, she has to stay and help or she feels like she has sinned against God. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and listen, that, that person, listen. They just have a ministry gift. They just love to help. And they derive a great amount of joy by, by helping other people. Um, number three is teaching, which he talks about in verse 6. This gift defines the truth. Uh, literally, that term he says, those in teaching, uh, literally it means in the Greek language, to open up and explain. This is the role that I have. Uh, here at the church, I open up the scriptures and explain what, what, it, what it means. And when you leave, you have a greater understanding, you're challenged, and uh, you're ready to take a next step with God. Number four uh, gift is, is the gift of exhortation. This gift deposits the truth. And that is the, the, the exhortation, it can also be translated um you know, uh, in encouragement, but it's a little stronger than encouragement. It's more like someone who challenges you to go to, to the next level, to take the next step, to do the thing that God wants you to do. But um, literally, the word means to come alongside. So somebody that comes alongside and gives you the wise counsel, gives you the good advice, and really just maybe gives you the little push that you need to take the step that you're supposed to take. Number five is the gift of giving. He says with giving, liberality. This gift demonstrates the truth. You see, the Bible commands all believers to tithe. That is, give your first 10% to God. We've talked about that. But there's people that have the gift of giving. And that is, they don't see tithing as, that's what I do. They see tithing as the beginning of what they're supposed to do. Um, uh, It it reminds me, like uh, Henry Parsons Crowell. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's the founder of Quaker Oats. Um, When he founded Quaker Oats, when he had, I mean, literally like a dollar to his name, he said, God, I know I'm supposed to give you... 10% and keep 90, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 90 and keep 10. And um, as you know, Quaker Oats does pretty well, right? They they, they do pretty well. And this, I mean, and God just blessed this guy with like millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he kept that promise that he gave away 90 and kept 10. He was like a reverse tither. Um, He was keeping 10 and giving and giving away 90. And some people just have that gift. They have that. Now all of us are called to be generous, but some people just have the gift. Of being able to say, I want to live on less so that I can give more. And uh, and and God blesses people like that in such a way so that they're, a, that they're able to do that. And they have the kind of faith that they're able uh, to do that. Number seven is the gift of leadership. He says that, you know, he who, lead, who, who leads, do it with diligence. Now, this gift drives the truth. You see, there's a person who sees the gifts around him or her. And they have the ability to direct them in a way so that the mission is accomplished. And then lastly, there's, um, lastly, he says, uh, those who have mercy with cheerfulness. This gift describes the truth. Um, I have a friend who has the gift of mercy. And this is someone who loves to come alongside someone who's hurting. And um, my my friend works at a, a, he's on staff, he's an assistant pastor at a church. And um, what he does, he just does funerals hospital visits, goes to convalescent homes and teaches, um, you know, Bible studies there. And he derives joy out of he derives incredible amounts of joy out of helping people in the moments of their greatest need. And um, so I talked to him a while ago. I asked him how things were going. And he said, this is literally what he said to me. He said, Bob, people are sick and people are dying and I'm having the time of my life. And I'm like, buddy, you need medication. And um, because that just For most of us, it's like that just seems so odd Um, or, you know, but it's like for him to go to a hospital, to sit by someone who's in their last moments, he derives so much joy by sharing hope with that person. Someone is sick. He has derives great joy out of praying for them and sharing the scriptures with them and talking to them about God's faithfulness and what God wants to show them through that experience. So you read all these and say, well, how do I know which gift I have? I'm going to let me give you this. This is we'll wind it up here. But um, how do you respond to this problem? Let's just say that my daughter, Mia, who's four and a half, comes through these doors and she's holding a glass of water and she walks down the aisle because she knows that her dad, after teaching for a while, is going to get thirsty. And so she's walking down the aisle and she's trying very, very carefully to hold this glass of water. But she slips and she falls and the water spills everywhere. How you respond to that problem will tell you what your gifts are. Right? The person with the prophetic gift, right, who wants to speak the right word at the right time, they'll walk up to Mia and they'll say, Now, Mia, you know the Bible says in the book of first John that we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And see, there it was some shadows there. You got you gotta you gotta you gotta watch where you're walking. Now, the person with the mercy gift, they don't tell her anything, they just walk up to her and hug her. And they say, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. It's okay. Now, the person with the service gift, you know what they do? They look and they say, hey, let's get a mop. Let's clean this thing up. Somebody help me and stand up. We've we, we got to help her here. The person with the teaching gift comes over to her and says, now, the reason you fell is because you weren't watching where you're going. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible gives us three points to follow when it comes to walking. And uh, now the exhorter, the person who's going to, you know, the person with the gift of exhortation says, Mia, next time bring your dad bottled water. Right? That's that's that what they're going to do. The person with the gift of giving, they look at that situation and they say, you know what, we need a sign that says watch your step. In fact, I'm going to go buy one right now. Um, the person with the gift of leadership says, you know what we need to do? Let's get organized. Somebody help me up. Somebody get the mop. So, somebody now um, tell Bob that water's on the way and we'll, figure, we'll tell him how to, how to get the water. Listen, the point is this. All of us have gifts. And God wants us to use all of them in proportion to the faith that he's given to us. And when we do, here's what happens. We start operating like a body. And you know what else we'll find? We'll find where we fit. On the back of your connection card, uh, the one you filled out earlier, you'll see a bunch of opportunities to serve. And here's my hope for you is that you'll take these moments as you've heard this message and say, you know what, God really has saved me. And he hasn't saved me just so I can sit, but he saved me for the purpose of serving because the only natural response to God's love is to do something for him and to love him in return. And so you look on the back and you say, now, Bob, what what about this? What if I serve somewhere and I hate it? Now, here's the great thing about serving is that when you decide to serve somewhere, it's not a life sentence. In fact, when you serve, when you meet with um, someone from our staff or when you come to our our orientation that we're going to have after this service. What will happen is this, is that if you say, um, well, what if I serve somewhere and I don't like it? Listen, when you start serving, we'll, we'll, we follow up with you almost immediately after. And the question that we're asking is this, how'd you like it? Now, if you say, listen, I thought I was going to like it and I hated it. Listen, here's the good thing. We're going to say, great, let's move you to somewhere else. Because the only, the, the way, one of the ways that you find where you fit is by trying different things. And as you try different things, you find out, I thought I was going to be good here, but actually it turned out to be here and I never would have gotten here if I hadn't tried one or two or three other places to find my fit. And listen, that's one of the things that, that's, that's so in- incredible. Um, because the thing that's important is that we, we, is that we decide to serve and find our fit in the body. Listen, there's hundreds of people that serve in this church. Um, you know, every month there's hundreds of people that, that, that are serving. So listen, I tell you this, and sometimes you can hear a message like this, say, wow, this, things must be really tough for the summer and they need a few extra hands. Listen, service is going to happen every week. And there are so many committed people here that service is going to happen every week and all the ministry that we do is going to happen. Listen, I share this with you because I want you to experience the joy that, that comes from serving, that you can not only be blessed but also be a blessing in the life. Of someone else. Um, my son, I, I mentioned, turned two recently, and my wife and I we bought him this racetrack for his birthday. And uh, every day, I mean, since he got this racetrack, he'll go into his room. He he knows how to fold the thing out, and then he gets the little cars, the movie cars, and then they, they all they, two at a time they race down this this little track all the way down. And I hear him like woo, woo, making all the car sounds as as they go down the track. And and I got to tell you something that it brings me so much joy to see him playing with this racetrack. But let me tell you what brings me even greater joy is when um, friends of ours come over and he takes out the track and he gives one of his cars to one of his friends and he has one of the cars and now he starts sharing the gift that he's been given. Listen, that's what fills us with even greater joy. And I'm telling you that when we decide to take our gifts, and put them into practice so that we not only will be blessed, but will be a blessing to others. It's what puts a smile on God's face. Listen, you want to know what you're uniquely gifted to do? Then serve. You want to know where you fit? Here's what you do. You decide to start serving and find where your fit is. And if you want to do something that lasts for eternity, here's what we do. We serve because the things that we do here for God, because of Christ, are the things that That are going to last, not just for time, but also for eternity. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge each of us to to serve in a way that honors you. That causes us to discover our gifts and to find our place. God, find our place in the body, find our place in our careers, find our place in how we can add value to what it is that you want to do in this world. So, Lord, thank you for the fact that you even give us the opportunity to serve. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor John is here somewhere, but Joel is here right now. And um, Joel's